You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Liberty Family Church. For more information about our church, head to the website, libertyfamilychurch.net.au. Some of you may be aware, this face might be familiar to you. Just last week, one of the great Christian thinkers of this age, one of my personal heroes of the faith, went home to be with the Lord after a three-year battle with pancreatic cancer. Tim Keller is his name, and for those who don't know him, Tim was a respected pastor, theologian, whose influence went far beyond his immediate setting of New York City. And Tim's, Tim's list of achievements and accolades are lengthy. I'm not going to do a big thing of everything he achieved. That's not the point of today, but you can Google him and see his his. His achievements are remarkable. He planted and pastored, along with his wife, Callie, Kathy, sorry, Redeemer Presbyterian Church in secular Manhattan back in 89. And for anyone who knows New York back in those days, to say it was anti-church would be an understatement. Under his leadership, it has currently grown to around 5,000 people in four distinct locations in New York City and continues to reach young urban professionals with the gospel to this day. He developed a church planting network called City to City, which trains and supports people to go and plant churches all across the globe. And to this day, I checked this just the other day, it's seen 978 churches started worldwide and 79,149 leaders trained and impacted for the gospel, including Laura and myself. He co-founded an organisation called the Gospel Coalition. You might have heard of that. It's a website, a network that supports the church by providing resources that are, as they say, trusted and timely, winsome and wise, and centred on the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're hearing a bit of a theme here about a gospel. He wrote countless books that many people, sceptics to the faith, as well as believers, hold dear. And he's sold an estimated 25 million copies of his books thus far. And as we know, what happens when someone passes? Their resources become even more popular. So you could guarantee that it will continue to sell. And many people have, and, and I think this is actually, actually right for describing Tim Keller, people have described him as the best English-speaking Christian preacher, thinker, and visionary of our time, suggesting that in, for the next hundred years' time, he'll be much like a John Stott or one of the other well-respected theologians who we quote and quote and quote and go back to for the next hundred years and more. So what I've been led to do this morning is not so much reflect on Keller's achievements, but on how the gospel was what shone through and empowered Keller to lead the kind of life that he did. Until the very end, how Tim Keller's life was very much shaped by the gospel. And it's my prayer that that as we do this, as we reflect on a man, that this would encourage us to be people who have our lives continually, if we're believers or if we're seeking spiritual truth today, maybe for the very first time that this might prompt you to consider, hey, you know what, maybe I need to make that choice to follow Jesus too and then have your life shaped by the gospel as well. So let's just take a moment to pray as we open and reflect and come around God's word. 
Yeah, God, we praise you so much for the gospel, the good news of the gospel, that as we just celebrated that we were, that we were, we were lost, we were broken, we were separated from you. And yet, through your great love, you made a way through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for us to come close again to you, to be cleansed, to be restored, to be made right with God so that we can be friends with you forever. And we just thank you for that wonderful, freeing gospel. And as we come and reflect on, on Tim Keller, a man who was all about honouring you and spreading the gospel near and far, we just pray, Lord, that you would speak powerfully through his faith example, that it might encourage us in our local context too to live lives shaped by the gospel. Beautiful, compelling, inviting lives that draw people ultimately to you. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 to 2, he encourages believers. This is what he's, he's writing to believers. He says, Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. What I'm going to do with this verse today is I'm going to kind of use it as a bit of a springboard to draw out some lessons from Keller's life of obedience to Christ that will encourage us to live ours in obedience to him as well. So here's the first. Despite his really remarkable success and standing, Keller remained humble. He remained humble. As I shared just earlier, he, he, he achieved remarkable things in his 72 years of life. Too many to list, really. We could be here all day listing them all off. However, and it saddens me to say this, but however, unlike some other successful, prominent megachurch pastors and leaders that we've seen fall spectacularly from grace, even in the last couple of years, he refused to entertain or even flirt with this idea of Christian celebrity. He remained humble. As Scott Sauls, a pastor from the US, writes, he says, Tim never chased the spotlight. He never tried to make a name for himself. The counsel of Jeremiah to his secretary, do you seek great things for yourself? Seek them not, Jeremiah 45.5. Seems like a life philosophy for Tim as well. Always shy about himself and boastful about Jesus, his ambition was to advance Jesus' kingdom spiritually, socially, and culturally, whether through Redeemer, his church, or notably through promoting and supporting other churches and leaders. This is a beautiful thing about, you know, you can tell when someone's got their heart right, can't you? They're not self-promoting. They're not getting up and telling about the gospel of Joel or saying, hey, look at me. He's not doing that. He didn't see a, pl a platform as an opportunity to promote himself, he saw it as an opportunity to promote Jesus even further. He didn't view his successes as even being his successes, but he viewed simply he had the privilege of joining with Jesus in the great work that he was doing that happened to be linked to some of the things he was involved in. He was humble. The thing that really, for me, made him a real hero of mine was that he didn't view the church or his church as being the only church that could do any good in his city. Who knows, there's a lot of churches out there that think their church is the only church that's good in the world. He didn't think that at all. He rightly believed and he encouraged others 
to understand that there's not one church that is going to reach an entire region with the gospel. Friends, hear this and believe this. We are not the only church in the valley that will see people reached with the gospel in the valley. We're not. We're not going to be able to. The only way a whole entire region can be reached with the gospel is for a group of gospel-centred churches to work together, to co-labor for God's glory. And this humble attitude meant, too, that he didn't see other pastors or churches as the competition, as tragically, believe it or not, some do. But he saw them as kingdom co-laborers, people to encourage, equip, love, and pray for. And by every account, he lived that out too. Over many years, Tim invested his energies not to see his own church grow, but to see other churches grow in a very, very hard-to-grow church's environment of New York City and all throughout the world as well as the city-to-city movement really took shape. He committed himself to growing gospel-centred churches. He mentored pastors one-on-one in groups and he gave of himself humbly for the good of others, for the good of the gospel. I'm wondering, friends, is this how people think of you? As you, are you known for your humility? Or perhaps as you honestly evaluate your life, your conduct, would you say you're actually better known for promoting yourself or your achievements, abilities, wealth, whatever it is? Friends, there's something incredibly beautiful about humility, isn't there? People are drawn to it. You see a humble woman or a humble man and it's, they're almost like a magnet. People want to be close to someone like that. They want to follow someone who's like that. And I don't think there's any coincidence that the greatest human to ever walk the earth embodied humility as well. Jesus was humble. He described his heart like this in Matthew eleven twenty nine. He says, I am gentle and humble in heart. May we, like Tim Keller, follow Jesus in his way of humility as we go about our lives too. All right, so that's the first. Despite his success and standing, Keller remained humble. And here's the second. Keller was gentle and patient. Ephesians 4, 1-2. Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient bearing with one another in love. The Apostle Paul, in another one of his letters to the church in Galatia, he encourages the church to develop the fruit of the Spirit. Reading Galatians 5, to 23, Paul writes, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. From People who had the privilege of meeting him, this was very much true of Kala. He didn't just tell people about things of faith. He embodied those things of faith. He was a gentle giant, a gentle and kind giant. He was physically pretty intimidating. He was over six foot tall, a little bit different than me. But he was, had, a, had a warmth about him and a genuine interest and care and curiosity about people that was very much 
beautiful, but also kind of disarming to people. Kind of left them feeling a little bit uncomfortable, but at the same time, like, maybe this guy actually cares about me. And sceptics very much testified to that being true. People felt safe, valued and respected when spending time with him. And he was known for treating people the same, seeing people as people, no matter who you were, what you were about, what role you held, whether you were an atheist journalist making his life as hard as you possibly could or a, a lovely old lady commending him on his latest book, he set aside time for people and was gentle and patient in his interactions. I read about a time where, where Keller was, as he often was, at a, at a conference. He was spending lengthy times in deep theological Q&A things going on, sitting there in a panel, and they'd been going for 45, 50 minutes already in a Q&A. No doubt he was feeling exhausted. The conveying, conveyor, whatever of the thing, wrapped it all up. And he said, all right, that's it. No more time for questions now. And the other speakers started going off stage. And apparently Tim had, had noticed someone for pretty well the whole time just there patiently waiting with their hand up like this. And so he, the other speakers went that way and he went, made a beeline for this person and he spent apparently 20 to 25 minutes getting to know them, fleshing out their questions, giving them some ideas, some resources to go away and read to discover a bit more. That's the kind of guy he was. He just had time for people. Now, this is a remarkable testimony. Who knows that one of a requirements for an elder is that they be well-respected by outsiders? Who knows that? Maybe churches generally should read that more often. Leaders should be well-respected by outsiders. A journalist by the name of Jonathan Ranch, he writes for The Atlantic, and he describes himself as an atheist. Here's what he says about Keller. He says, Outsider and unbeliever though I am, he made me feel like a member of his search party, and he made me feel loved by him and by his God. Wow. Isn't that incredible? Keller had this beautiful way of engaging with all people, no matter where they were at on the faith spectrum, faith or no faith, sceptics, the big curly questions. He didn't care what people came to him with. He treated them the same. He saw them as human beings. And many others have testified about the way that this faithfulness in friendship really supported and encouraged them on their journey to finding life and hope through relationship with Jesus Christ. He had time for people. He was gentle. He was patient. The fruit of the Spirit were not a, a, a concept he spoke about. They were the reality of his lived expression of love for Jesus. He made people feel loved. Let me ask you today, are you a gentle and patient person? Do you set aside time to, to invest in and encourage other people? Do people see and experience you as, as, as gentle and patient or perhaps as harsh and impatient? Well, wherever you feel you're at today, know this. God has not finished with you, which is a good thing, isn't it? God is not finished with you. God wants to develop more and more and more the fruit of the Spirit in your lives. If you know Jesus, I encourage you, take a moment right now to invite Holy Spirit in afresh 
to make those fruits flourish in your life, yeah? Just, just take a moment right now and invite him to do that work in your heart. And if, you, if you're here or, or with us online and you haven't yet made the decision to follow Jesus, I encourage you, make that choice today, right now. Choose to follow Jesus. And the moment that you place your faith in Jesus Christ, God will gift you with his Holy Spirit and he will start to transform your life, transform your heart. It's a beautiful thing. And for those of us who've been on that journey for a while, we can wholeheartedly testify that we wouldn't have it any other way. Amen? God will develop our capacities to be gentle and patient as he developed them in color over his lifetime, if we let him. So let's invite him, Holy Spirit, to do that in our lives today. We'll be blessed, guaranteed. Okay, so despite his success and standing, Kala remained humble. The second one, Kala was gentle and patient. And here's the third, Kala bore with, one, with others in love. Ephesians 4, 1-2, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. For anyone who has read a Keller book or seen any of his messages or just know anything about him, you would know that he did. He spent countless hours with people from all walks of life. Believers, non-believers, agnostics, antagonistic atheists, whoever. He didn't care. He engaged with them powerfully in person and through his teaching and wide range of resources as well. A lot of his books are around answering questions, helping people on the journey towards seeing that ultimately all of life's answers to meaning and purpose and identity and success are only found in relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, one of the things that really stands out about Keller is how he bore with other people in love. And sadly, this is not only how he bore with non-believers in love, but how he bore with other Christians in love who nitpicked and had a go at him for different ideas of theology that he had. Now, unlike many in our day, what, what, what's, the, what's the common response in our day for, to anyone who criticises or... Um, maybe holds to a different viewpoint than us. Bigots and racists. <laughs> yep, that, that certainly can come out. Um, what else? Yeah, absolutely. We can kind of go, oh, we're right, they're wrong. And what often happens, especially in our, in our age of outrage, we engage in belittlement. It's not just enough to... People have, people have lost the art of learning to sit with the tension of still honouring someone while 100% disagreeing with what they're saying. That's really tragic because there should be an ability, especially for believers, to sit with people at different points on the journey, with different ideas, with things that we know in our own hearts from doing the journey with Jesus are so far from the truth but we should still be able to sit with them, honouring them as a human being, reasoning, talking, working through things without resorting to belittlement. 
you know, so many people nowadays, as soon as someone says something that goes against something they've been saying, they just tear down and ridicule. Yeah? We see it all everywhere. We see it in the media. Sadly, we see it in the church. We see it all over the place. And this is why Keller in particular, he, he faced criticism probably more than most because of his platform, because of the resources he produced, because of the way God used him to, to go and wrestle with some of those deeper things of life. However, when criticised, he consistently showed a different response to that of our age. He showed a response of love, restraint and mercy. Scott um, Sauls, the US pastor, he actually worked under Tim for a period of five years. This is what he says about Tim's leadership. He says, In five years of serving under his leadership, never once did I see him tear down another person down to their face on the internet or through gossip. Instead, he seemed to always assume the good in people. Occasionally, he would talk about how having the forgiveness and affirmation of Jesus frees us to catch people doing good instead of looking for things to criticise or be offended by. Even when someone had truly done wrong or been in error, Tim would respond with humble restraint and self-reflection instead of venting negativity and criticism. You know, Keller actually wrote a lot around this sort of stuff, probably because he had a lot of opportunity to put into practice, but he, in reflecting on criticism, he, he shared these insights that, that he lived by. He says, There is usually such a kernel when the criticism comes from friends, and there is often such truth when the disapproval comes from people who actually know you. So even if the censure is partly or even largely mistaken, look for what you may indeed have done wrong. Perhaps you simply acted or spoke in a way that was not circumspect. Maybe the critic is partly right for the wrong reasons. Nevertheless, identify your own shortcomings. Repent in your own heart before the Lord for what you can and let that humble you. It will then be possible to learn from the criticism and stay gracious to the critic, even if you have to disagree with what he or she has said. That's pretty brilliant. Now, a wide range of sources testify to this being true for Keller. His speech was consistently, as Colossians 4.6 says, gracious and seasoned with salt. He, he consistently took the time to consider thoughtfully, not, not just off the cuff and return serve back. Oh, you've, you've heard me. I'm going to get you one back. And he had the intellectual wit and capacity to, to do that if he'd so chosen to. But he took the time to consider thoughtfully how best to answer or respond to each person. And here's the thing. Everything, this is what drove him. This is why the gospel was so central to all that he did. Because when he answered people's questions, he wasn't merely answering it in such a way that he would satisfy their intellectual curiosity or, or the question that they had, but he was seeking to demonstrate the love and mercy and grace of Jesus Christ in how he went about responding to their questions. You know, in a very real sense, to, to those who were antagonistic or those who were blatantly rude and obnoxious to him, he was seeking to be Jesus to them in those moments. Friends, let me ask you, 
this today. How, how do you respond to criticism? How do we respond to criticism? How do you interact with the people in your life who hold to very different viewpoints than you? Do you follow the ways of our day? Do you return, return serve, so to speak, and belittle and criticise right back at them? Or do you follow the way of Christ? Do you follow the way of our Lord and Saviour and show love and grace and mercy to all, no matter what, regardless of how they've treated you? You know, there's no doubt we can all learn a lot from heroes of the faith, people like Tim Keller. A life well lived is a life worth reflecting on and and Keller's life was one that was well lived. He lived to honour Jesus. He gave everything for the sake of the gospel. And he, he lived to see people hear, not only hear the gospel in a compelling way, to have their intellectual questions answered, and the, the idols of the heart, so to speak, man's innate need for certain things to be met, you know, that in our age today... What are the idols? Wealth, beauty, sex, pleasure, all these kind of things, prestige, power. He, he devoted his life to sharing the gospel in such a way that people could see only in Jesus would their ultimate heart longings ever be fulfilled. And he gave his life to see people hear and accept this gospel as um, this quote, as he often says, he says, this is the gospel. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet, at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Praise the Lord. May your life, may my life, be rich, fulfilling ones that like colours, are shaped by this wonderful, life-changing gospel too. Amen? Let's pray together. Oh, Jesus, we are just so in awe of you. We are so grateful for the wonder of the gospel. We thank you, God, that the power is not in our ability to, to follow you or anything like that. The power is in the gospel. The gospel is what saves the gospel is what frees. The gospel is what leads us to want to follow you and obey your ways. So God, we pray that you might continue to shape our hearts so that we might be people who have our lives shaped by the gospel. Lord, I pray for people who are seeking spiritual truth today, people on all stages of the spectrum, God, that you would be reaching out to them by your spirit, drawing them to yourself, helping them to hear these words of the gospel and even just consider for a moment what life might mean were they to follow Jesus and, and join in on this kind of experience that we've been talking about this morning. We thank you, Jesus, that you, as, as you say, Jesus, that no one can come to the Father except through you. But, Lord, you've made the way so easy for us to come. We just simply need to turn to you. We need to humbly approach you and place our faith in you, repenting of the ways that we've been, which means 
leaving our old ways behind, turning 180 degrees to follow you and stick with you, and then just allowing you to work through our hearts and changing us, shaping us, making us more and more alive, more and more human. So, God, we thank you for the life and faith of Tim Keller and countless others who, who like him, have been inspirational to those who, who have, are left behind. And so, God, we pray that, like Keller, we might be people whose lives are shaped by the gospel, who are, who are able through your power and yours alone, to live those radical countercultural lives, not, not conforming to the patterns of the world, but being transformed by you, Jesus, so that we can be people of love, we can be people of mercy and gentleness, all with the fruit of your spirit in our lives, for your glory, Jesus, for the good of others, and to see this gospel spread to the very ends of the earth. Would you draw people to yourself through us, we pray, Shape us as, as people who are shaped by the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.